0: Hey, this is Scott Nicholson from Board Games with Scott and On Board Games. And this is Donald Dennis with On Board Games. And you're listening to the How to Play Podcast, episode 16.
1: All about Medici. Learn how to play Medici. I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> That's perfect. I didn't
0: know you You're supposed to
1: say something funny now and creative because you, know, you guys are board games. are podcast did. celebrities. <laughs> I got nothing, man. The tank is dry. <laughs>
0: you, you, you know Here, that Kathy. The... Say something funny. Uh, there we go. There you go. All right. Great. <laughs> you know, the ticker's running here. Every funny thing, ding, costs more and more. So right, you sure no. you don't want us to be my too bill, funny? My here. bill no. is going to go up and up and up. That's right. We're
1: going to bleed all your listeners. Away with this one segment, they're going to think we're so impressive.
2: <laughs> Hello and welcome to the How to Play podcast. Thank you, Don Dennis and Scott Nicholson, for that intro. Don and Scott are from On Board Games, and of course, you probably know Scott from Board Games with Scott. Recently, we had the opportunity to get together and play some games, and we also spent a few minutes doing some recording. We put together a segment on auction games. And so stay tuned to listen to that in the musing section. And if you've never listened to the On Board Games podcast with Don and Scott and Eric, definitely go check that out. They do really good roundtable discussions about board games. And Scott Nicholson's videos are the best videos you're going to see about board games. So check that out at boardgameswithscott.com. But you are here for how to play. Welcome. This is episode 16. Today we're going to talk about Medici, which just happens to be an auction game. And it's one of the best auction games that I know. This is your host, Ryan Sturm, and this episode was recorded on June 5th, 2010. How to Play comes to you from the How to Play Studios in Buffalo, New York. More episodes can be downloaded at howtoplaypodcast.com or on iTunes. All the feedback and discussion for this podcast happens at our guild on BoardGameGeek, so become a member and post to our guild. If you've never joined a guild, just go to boardgamegeek.com, look at the miscellaneous tab, And from there, you'll see the guilds link. And if you look under the category of podcasts, you can find this show and join up. I can also be contacted at howtoplaypodcast at msn.com. How to Play is a podcast about learning and teaching games. In this podcast, I'm going to give you an explanation of how to play Medici, just as if we were sitting across the table from each other and we're about to play the game. This show is intended to be used in learning the game by yourself, or in a group, or to serve as a model of how to explain the rules of this game and others. Even if you're already quite familiar with today's game, Medici, hopefully you can still gain some tips on strategy for the game, or on explaining the game. This is one of designer Reiner Nitzia's masterpiece auction games. It works well with between 3 and 6 players, and the game lasts about 45 to 60 minutes. Complexity Rating this game is a blue square on my complexity scale. This is a great midweight game that you can try with just about anybody. It requires a bit of figuring and a small amount of mathematical number sense, and you need to have people who are interested in playing games. This is good for people who are taking their next steps into gaming, and it's great for gamers as a one-hour filler between Meteor Games or a great one-hour end-of-the-night game. Now, this game has only four pages of rules, so it shouldn't be that hard to teach, right? Well, yes and no. This is a game that can have some confusing elements about how the structure of the game works and the goals of the game, if not explained correctly. Plus, in a game like this with a shorter play time, you really want to be as efficient as possible in your explanation, without missing any essential elements and allowing players to focus on the aim of the game. The structure of how to play is we'll have a hook, which will introduce the game, the meat of the rules, and the hamster to give you some basic strategy. And then that will follow with today's musings. We have our special guest stars. I'm so excited. We actually have real guests on the show. First time ever. Uh, Scott Nicholson, Don Dennis, and a friend of mine from Canada whose name is Derek Gallagher. And we will be discussing auction games. It's really an interesting segment. So stay tuned. Or if you have to, fast forward to that segment. Because I think we had some really good discussion on what makes a great auction game. As always, I recommend having the game in front of you, the rule book, or access to the web to see the board and components because that will really help you better understand the rules as I explain them to you. Let's get to the hook. Part 1. The Hook. What the game is about. Welcome to Medici. You are a rich merchant seeking to gain the most profits over three days at the market. The goal of the game is to have the most money at the end of these three days, or rounds. The money in this game is simply represented by one of your tokens on a track that goes around the board. When you spend money, you simply move your token backward, and at the end of each round you will earn money by moving it forward. Whoseever ever token is the furthest forward at the end of the game wins. In order to earn money, you're going to have to spend money to buy goods tiles. You'll be spending your money in participating in a series of auctions to win lots or groups of one, two, or three good tiles to acquire to fill your ship, which can hold five of those good tiles each turn. When all players' ships are full, we're going to earn back some of those money depending on which goods you've gotten, hopefully making a profit. You earn money for those goods in two different ways. First, the players will earn rewards from having the highest valued goods represented by the sum of total of the numbers on the tiles. So you just, you'll just have those five tiles of numbers, you'll add them up. The player who has the highest total gets first place bonus of 30 money. The next highest usually gets 20, and so on. And eventually the player with the lowest sum value will get nothing. Second, there are five different colors or types of goods. And players get rewarded at the end of the turn for having shipped the most or second most of one of those types of good or colors of goods. That is the balancing act of Medici. You want to have the most valuable goods, but you're also looking to specialize in certain colors of goods as well. And you have to try to manage to win these auctions for these tiles at a reasonable price. Because if you spend 35 money to win a reward of 30, well, that's just not very good business, is it? So in this game, we will have auctions for 1, 2, or 3 tiles until all players' boats are full. At that point, players score for the total value of their boat for that turn, compared to the value of their opponent's boats. Then, players score for shipping the most of each of the five goods colors throughout the game. Players mark on the board how many of each color they've shipped. The top two players will score 10 and 5 money, respectively, for each of those five colors. All the goods tiles will go back in the bag. The markers on the board stay there, showing the colors you have shipped, and you'll try to add to your dominance in those colors in the second and third rounds. You'll play two more complete rounds, and at the end of the third round, whoever has the most money is the winner. Part two, the meat, how to play the game. So the meat of this game is really the auction. How does the auction work? Well, a random start players determine. I recommend that the player who has listened to the most episodes of the How to Play podcast gets to go first. The starting player will start as the auctioneer, and they're easily recognized as the person who's holding the tile bag, because they're going to determine how many tiles go up for auction, between one and three, through the following method. The auctioneer will take the bag of tiles and randomly draw one out. They'll look at the tile and decide whether to put that single tile up for auction or to draw another random tile from the bag to add to that lot. If they choose to draw another tile then they make the same decision to auction just those two tiles or to draw a third tile. So the auctioneer will end up with between one and three tiles and then they'll say I am going to put those tiles up for auction. These tiles are a lot and players bidding on them will win all the tiles. You can't bid on just one or two of the tiles. So the bidding for that lot of 1-3 to tiles will begin. The bidding begins with the first player to the left or clockwise of the auctioneer. They must place a bid or pass. Now this is a once-around auction, meaning you only get one chance to place a bid for those tiles. Each player is going to get one chance to bid an amount greater than the previous player or pass and the auctioneer will get the opportunity for the final bid. The winner of the bid will take the tiles and place them in their ship Keep in mind that each of your ships can hold five goods tiles. Now the auctioneer, whether or not he wins that auction, he's then going to pass the bag to the next person clockwise, and they will become the new auctioneer. And the process will start all over again. Even if nobody chooses to bid on that lot of tiles, their turn as the auctioneer is over. What happens if everybody passes and nobody bids on a lot of tiles? Well they get tossed into the ocean, or in this case the game box, And those tiles are out of the round. Now this adds a bit of tension to the game because there are a few extra goods tiles each round, but not a lot. There are a number of extra good tiles equal to the number of players in the game. So if you're playing with four players, there's enough for all the players to fill their ships, which is five, four times five is 20, plus four more, four extra. So if the players toss away a three tile lot with nobody bidding on it, now there's only one extra tile left. And if they were to throw away three more tiles, well, now we're going to be short two tiles of everyone being able to fill their boat for that round. Which usually makes auction prices go up. So the bidding continues in that fashion, one to three tiles for each player's turn. But it gets more interesting as more auctions have occurred for a couple of reasons. Players now have colors in their boat that they're trying to shoot for. Like, let's say if I got a yellow and two reds, now I'm looking specifically for yellows and reds. Also, players and auctioneers need to take into account boat capacity. Your boat only holds five tiles each round. And once a player fills their boat, they're then out of the round. They'll no longer participate in the auctions or take a turn as the auctioneer. But this is also important for who can bid on a lot. For example, if I won a three-tile lot in the first auction, Then the next player may decide to draw a third tile on purpose for that auction because they know that I can't bid on a three-tile lot because I only have space for two tiles in my boat. In fact, a very clever player may be able to get into a situation where they're the only player left who has space for three tiles in his boat. And then when it's his turn, he can draw three tiles and since he's the only player who can bid on those tiles, he can take them for one measly dollar. Of course, the real trick of doing this is once you get yourself in that situation, you still have to pull the tiles out of the bag that you actually want. If you're the auctioneer, you can even pull out more tiles than you're able to bid on, but you can't pull more than anyone could bid on. So if I only have two spaces in my boat, I can pull out three tiles, assuming that somebody else has three spaces left in their boat. But if Everyone has two or less spaces. I can never draw a third tile for a lot of three tiles. And that's the heart of this game. You're going to continue to run auctions of one to three tiles. And you can see how it might be an advantage in this game to hold out and just wait for a lot of other players to fill their boats so that they can't bid anymore. But you must beware being the last unfilled boat. Because a round ends when only one player has their boat that is not filled. At that point, that last player has to pull random tiles and fill his boat immediately. And he can't toss tiles either. The good news of this is that those tiles don't cost him anything. But the bad news is, is you have random tiles. So if we have four players and their names are Landon, Tim, Carlos, and Josie, Landon and Tim's boats are all full. And then Carlos just won a bid to fill his boat. Josie is the only person who doesn't have a full boat. He has three spaces left in his boat. Josie takes the bag, pulls the next three tiles randomly out of the bag, and fills his boat. If there aren't three tiles left because they burn too many tiles, well, he just takes whatever is left, and then he's just out of luck, and he gets what he gets. So, after that last player has randomly filled the empty spaces in his boat, that is the end of the round, or day. It's time to score for your goods. First, the value of the goods on your boat, and then the colors. First, players will add all the values of the tiles in front of them and compare them. The rewards depend on how many players you have, but they always range from 30 to 0 for the total sum of the values of your tiles. In a 4 player game, it is 1st place gets 30 money, 2nd place is 20, 3rd place is 10, and 4th place gets 0. If there is a tie, say Landon and Carlos, both tied for that middle position, they would add the second and third position and divide by two. So uh, 20 and 10, add that for a reward of 30 between two players, so they'd both get 15. If necessary, you round down. Then all the players have a spice bag on each of five colored tracks. And you're going to move up one space on that track for each good of that color I have. So say I had two blue, two red, and a white. I would move two spaces up the blue track, two up the red, and one up the white. The players then score depending on who has shipped the most of each of those colors of goods. First place gives you 10 money. Second place gives you five money. If players are tied, once again we add, divide, and round down. So if Josie and Landon were tied for the most white tiles, they both had two, Um, they would split that reward of 10 plus 5, 15. you divide that between the two players, so they'd both get 7. Same thing if two players tied for second, for example, they would both get 2. All of these tracks have 7 rungs of the ladder, and once you get to the 5th level, you're going to start getting bonus money for having delivered so much of those colored goods, which is why you really want to try to collect the same colored tiles. The fifth space is going to give you 5 extra money, sixth space 10 extra money, and the seventh space is going to give you 20 extra money. You can't go any higher than that seventh space. It's not too likely to get to these spaces after the first round, but it's quite possible by the second round, and if you're playing with any strategy at all, you should get some tokens into those bonus spaces by the third round. And this is extra money on top of the normal first and second place money for the color, the First place always gets 10, second place always gets 5. So if I get first place in reds, I get the normal 10, plus I'm on the 20 spot, so it gives me an extra 20, and so that will earn me 30 money. So we score those colors one at a time. Maybe you start with the red, and you go clockwise around, so you do all five colors. And when you're finished with that color scoring, all the tiles go back in the bag. The markers stay on the colored tracks so that you can continue to try to build those up in the second and third rounds. And we're going to do this whole process all over again. You have to make sure to have the right number of tiles in the bag. If you have six players, you play with all the tiles. But if you have less than six, then the game tells you how many tiles you need. You're going to secretly pull a certain number face down. That will be out of the round. And those tiles will change each round. So the ones that were removed from the first round, you're going to put back in the bag and secretly pull another certain amount to pull out. So that in that way, you'll never know exactly which of those tiles are out of the game. You then begin the second round, and the player with the least amount of money, otherwise known as the player who is losing, begins the second round as the auctioneer. He's going to pull one to three tiles, and you'll be on your way. You're going to do the same exact process with the second and third rounds, but they get a lot more interesting because everybody knows what color tiles everybody's looking for simply by looking at the board. Oh, look, Carlos really wants those blue tiles. And that makes each auction more and more interesting. And then finally, at the end of the third round, the player with the most money wins the game. Part three, the hamster, how to win the game. So let's talk a bit of Medici strategy. Medici, of course, is an auction game. So you need to be able to successfully evaluate the worth of a group of one to three tiles and make some great bids. How do you do that? Well, I like to be aware of the tile's market value, its relative value, and its potential value. And within all that, have good timing on when and when not to bid. First of all, you need to know what the tile set is. In Medici, there are seven tiles of each of five colors. There are different versions, but in the most current version, the colors are white, blue, yellow, red, and green. Each color is represented by a good symbol. For example, white is animal skins. And each color of the tile has seven different tiles, and they have different what I'm going to call market values. This represents how valuable that tile is relative to the other tiles. It's also a good guide for placing your bids. If you're lost for what a good bid on something, the market value is simply found by adding the numbers on the tiles together, and then you get a bid that is a reasonable bid. So say, for example, maybe you had a 5 tile and a 3 tile and a 2 tile. You could say, all right, 5 plus 3 plus 2, 10 is pretty much a standard bid. Maybe I'll bid 9. So what are the numbers on the tiles? Well, we have skins. Those are the white tiles. There are seven different tiles there. Um, In skins, we have zero skins, one skins, two skins, three skins. And um, yeah, actually, let's call the white tiles fur. Yeah, it's definitely uh, fur. Let's call it fur. Yes, fur. Okay, so on the fur tiles, we have a zero, a one, a two, a three, a four, a five, and another five. I I love how he decided to do two fives because it leaves that excitement of, all right, there's another five in there. So I'm just going to, I'll leave that one five. I'll get the next five. So there's seven of each of the five different colors, five colors times seven different tiles is 35. Plus there's one special tile. This is the treasure chest. The treasure chest has a value of 10, but it has no color. This is a very interesting tile because if you take this, you're probably going to have the most valuable boat, meaning you're going to get that full 30 money. But how much is that worth to you? So people sometimes are just waiting, when is that treasure chest going to come out? Or if you're playing with four players, is that treasure chest going to come out is really an important tile. Also, you have to balance that with the fact that you're not getting any advancement on your color tracks. So it's good to know that that's the tile set that's in there. You have a 0, zero one, two, three, four, five, uh, in each color, and then there's the 10 treasure chest. So there is a bit of a memory game, and you can even just look on what tiles have come out that people have bid on and still know what potentially is coming up. I love this game with six because you know what tiles are left in the bag. It's just a matter of when they come out. With four, you need to know that each round, some of those tiles are randomly out of the game. So you could get unlucky uh, with not getting tiles of a certain color. So as I said, that market value, the numbers on the tile, if you just add those up, that gives you a good guideline of what to bid. But this game really would not be very interesting if everybody just added up those numbers on those tiles and that's what they bid and that's what won the auction. What's interesting about this game is determining when can you get something cheap and when is it worth it to pay more. There's two things you need to consider when you're looking at bidding in these auctions. You need to look at the relative value. You need to think about what are those tiles worth to me compared to what are they worth to the other players who are bidding in that auction. This is where you can get a really good deal. If there's something there that is really going to help my boat and going to do nothing for you, I can probably get that tile lot for a bargain. Also need to keep in mind the potential value. Perhaps seeing more potential value in a color that nobody has gotten into yet. Or recognizing that even though we're bidding on a 5 tile, that if I win that 5 tile, it's not going to change my order or my place in how valuable a boat I have, because maybe I'll still be in 3rd place. Really thinking about, by looking at the other players' boats, what is that tile lot going to do for you in comparison to the other players? Also take advantage of being that auctioneer. It's really a powerful position for a couple of reasons. First of all, you get that last bid. So they're going to come up with probably a reasonable amount of money. And then you get that final say on whether you want to allow that player to get that or just bid one more and take the tile yourself and take the lot yourself. You also get the important decision of how many tiles to put into the lot. When do you draw a second tile or a third tile? Obviously, you're going to be looking at your boat and seeing if that lot is going to really help you, or is that lot going to help others just too much? If you get, for example, two yellow tiles, and there's a player who's going crazy collecting yellow tiles, and you have no yellow tiles, you're definitely going to want to draw that third tile to, as we say, spoil it or spoil the lot. The next important point about Medici is you have to balance the value of the boat with the colors of tiles in the boat. The first couple times I played this game I was always really focused on getting just two colors and I took such a hit for having a low boat value and got the zero multiple times and just got crushed. You must fight to have that highest boat value or at least get close. If the same person wins the highest value that those 30 bonus points for more than one round they're going to get 60 money which is a huge advantage. You don't want to have that same opponent win the boat value twice in a game and if they do you at least have to make sure they pay a bunch of money for it you don't always have to have the most but you have to get in that mix somewhere be second or third if you get last more than once you're not going to win this game and then by the same token if you just get random colors where you're not winning any of the colors you're probably not going to win the game either so it's the balance between colors and boat value then you need to ask yourself should you bid early on lots or should you bid late for lots now there's advantages to both of these things if you get into the mix early you'll probably be able to get a little bit more reasonable prices if you get into the auctions late it's possible you can get some really cheap tiles but sometimes it's just random and you don't get the ones that you want also I love in this game how you can play that sort of play chicken strategy There's something there, you know you don't want it, but you know someone else really does want it. So you can at least put a token bid out there to make sure that they don't get it really cheap. Of course, the trick to this is you have to make sure that they're going to bid on it. They could really just decide, you know what, I don't need that, and stick you with it. Especially if you place your chicken bid too high. So, of course, the most important part of this game is placing fair bids based on the relative and potential value of those tiles. And hopefully, on your tile draws, you get just a little bit lucky. Medici is a beautiful auction game. It's one of the best there is. I hope you enjoy it, and have fun. Part 4. Footnotes and Musings I don't have any footnotes today, so we're going to go straight to the musings, and as promised, I have this special segment with Scott Nicholson and Donald Dennis from Onboard Games, and a friend of mine, Derek Gallagher from Canada, in which we sat around a table and we mused a little bit about auction games, what makes a great auction game, and just some of our general thoughts about the genre. Thank you to you three guys for joining me, and I hope you enjoy this segment.
0: So how are we start this? You're the you're the sir MC. Okay, we just started. You, you go for it. <laughs> yeah, I think we've already actually. Uh... Hi there, you've just joined us in on a conversation. Uh, We're talking about auction games, and we're talking about the different ways that auctions are put into games. Uh, So rather than really focus on the games, we're going to talk a little bit about different types of auctions out there in games and the effect they have. Who are you? Why, hi there, I'm Scott Nicholson, host of Board Games with Scott and contributor to On Board Games. In my most recent episode of Board Games with Scott, I talked about one specific type of auction games. And so now we're going to talk about
3: lots of auctions. Excellent. And who are you? I'm Derek. I'm one of the uh, imported Canadians. This is Ryan Sturm from the How to Play podcast.
2: And why are you here? I, I what are you doing know. in my listeners' ears? <laughs> well, we're, we're we're doing sort of a cross. This is this is sort of, you know, when the two Law & Orders get together and and uh, Jack goes on the other Law & Order. That's sort of what's going on here.
1: And this is Donald Dennis with Law & Order On Board Games. Exactly. Law & Order On Board Games. Law & Order? I'd like to order an ice cream lawn, please. Okay, um, all right, so why are auction games an important part of the gaming genre? What, what do they add? Why do we
0: care? All right, well, one thing that, that, that auctions do is they allow you to have a game from a design perspective that you don't have to balance every aspect of the game because the balance is going to come naturally through the bidding. So if you have some things that are more powerful than others in the game, it's fine because with the auction mechanic, everyone has a chance to get it and people's bids are going to affect that balance as compared to a game where you you're all given a resource and you better hope those resources are all equally valuable. So auction games are a pretty easy way for a game designer to, to provide players with access to a variety of strengths of stuff and a way to balance that out.
2: That's a very good point. I think about a few excellent examples of that. It's One would be Princes of Florence. Princes of Florence has all these different options up for sale, and some of them are wildly more balanced, such as the Jester specifically, those of you who are familiar with the game. I also think about one of my favorite games, of course, Age of Steam, uh, which has those two very powerful actions and people are bidding for. You don't know which one they're going for, but you have to bid high to get those more powerful actions. When you
1: start playing in auction games, have you ever noticed when you go to a different group of people, not only do you get different tactics, but the values of games, you know, of components or of, or of things that you're buying really shifts? Like you go to Power Grid and, and you'll say, oh, people don't usually go around the board more than once for Power Grid to say oh I'm going to buy this particular thing but then you get some games where you can go around the table multiple
2: times like oh we're going to bid this up until we're bleeding out our teeth but this is also part of the problem of those auction games when you have people who are totally unfamiliar with the values of those sorts of things and you're trying to play this game strategically and bid on those things for example let's take that princes of florence example there's nowhere in the rules or nothing inherently in the game that would suggest that those jesters are worth three to four times more than some of those other things, so people need our games. Our
0: games, they might like go for like 100 or 200. I mean, gosh, I always get them all the time. That's an easy game. Whereas people who
2: played that game, you have to bid like 1,200 or something ridiculous to get them. Amongst people who who know that, so if, if you're teaching an auction game like that, for example, that's something you have to build into the explanation. You need to say these are typically more powerful. If people win the auction, they're usually going for this. Or if people um, people typically bid more on this sort of uh, on this action
3: we are finding with uh, when you've got games that have a once around auction once you've got a group that knows how to play you end up getting a guttural reaction from the people that are there where regret kicks in where if you start to realize you haven't bid enough everyone begins to panic the next time around and it pushes whether it's currency back and forth or whether whether you're bidding with tokens back and forth people actually become physically attached to the auction at the start of the game as opposed to the play after the game.
2: But that makes me think of it's interesting when you go from a once around as opposed to one that can, can keep going around and around multiple times. When when an auction can keep going, players don't have to have that knowledge uh, going into the game. They can sort of feel it out and, and let sort of the market decide, as you will. Whereas if you've got a once around game, such as Medici or Goa, players sort of have to know the value going into the game of what things are. Otherwise, they're not going to be able to feel it out and, and see how it happens.
1: <laughs> I think that actually that's, that's one of the things about, uh, about auction games is that people learn the game and then after they've learned the game, how they play it changes a little bit. But then once a group settles in on, I know how valuable these things are, so I'm going to bid to that or maybe a little higher than that because I know it's a lot more valuable to Scott here, then it falls, you know, it's pre-balanced and the auction element doesn't really add that much to the game. Beyond
0: the oh, we're just moving our pieces around, because we know what we know what the value is. Now, if you really want to explore an auction game mechanic, the one I'll suggest you play is Modern Art, because Modern Art has a lot of different auctions in the game based upon what it is you're going putting up for auction. You're going to do different types of auctions, and so if you're listening to this and saying, "Yeah, but I've only ever played Monopoly. I only understand that auction," uh, seek out a copy of Modern Art because it's a good Monopoly. Way to wait, wait. That.
2: Monopoly has an auction.
0: Um, yeah, it's with free parking. <laughs> you know, it's over oh, in the free parking. Oh, free parking, parking area.
2: the place where you get all the
0: money. Yeah, in the yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. If, if a property goes unsold, it goes up for auction. I know. I didn't I know that before we, were, we did our Monopoly episode. Okay, there you, know, you go. So.
3: <laughs> when, when you brought up modern art, I, I was thinking uh, games like For Sale and No Thanks, were great introductory games for everyone can understand the game after the first time around. Yeah, No Thanks is like an, an, an inverse auction
1: game. Yeah. You're yeah. Trying
2: to not get stuff. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things I think these auction games really get better the more that you play them because the players get a better understanding of those values. And when all the players have a, have a good understanding of the values, it makes the game more interesting. Whereas I know this is worth more, so I'm gonna get it at a cheaper price, and,
0: and then it's it's not quite as fun. One uh, different mechanism is in the current, uh, current currently available Hollywood Shuffle, um, where it's an auction mechanism, but it's a fixed pool between the players. And so there's only so much currency that's going around, and so if I bid stuff, that's then redistributed to the other players each okay. time and so what's kind of neat about that is over the course of the game it balances out if I bid high the money I bid is going to be distributed between the other players That's what and they're going to have some bid uh, Hollywood, is it Hollywood Shuffle? Hollywood Blockbuster? Oh gosh All Ho- right. are Hollywood Blockbuster, yeah I was going to say, that, say that, that sounds again? like oh, yeah. Hollywood Blockbuster Yeah, what's yeah no what's the, uh, I'm trying to remember what the German Tromberg? At- At- Tromberg, yes, it's, yeah. I'll do that again and this time I'll sound smart Nope, too late. Here I thought thought you knew this clever game that I'd never heard of before. Why, why there is. Uh, (laughs) There will
1: be next week. Just let me get to Port Game Geek. I'm putting it in there.
0: Yes, Chomp Fabric or uh, Hollywood Blockbuster have that currency issue. So I think that's an interesting twist on the game that allows some balance to keep that currency flowing between the players. Now,
1: there's more than one version of Modern Art. Was there any changes between the two of those? Between Modern Art and Modern Art the card game? No, no, no. The original... um, the original Hans and
0: Gluck, or the, the first printing, and then somebody else did a smaller box version. I don't think so, but I'm not willing to go on record with that. And so I'm not going to be a podcaster. You, <laughs> you went on record with
2: Hollywood Shuffle, but you're not going on record. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you, you bring up uh, modern art. Have you ever played that game or, or other auction games with people who just, they don't get the mathiness of it. They, they bid just, modern art is the worst for that. Yes. Someone is just, they, they have no concept of how much something is possibly worth and the problem with this is they're giving the money to another player so they say I'll bid 200 for that and then all the other players groan because they've just given away the game have you ever had that I have
0: and that's one that's the big problem with modern art that I find is if you have a player that's not willing to recognize the value of things it can really mess up the game so when I play modern art I actually make sure and announce when each thing comes up I say now this possibly could be worth blah 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 to lay it all out so everyone knows going into the bidding. And then, of course, you know this could be worth 60 70 or $80. i will bid 200 <laughs> you, know, you know, what are you going to do about that? You still get that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. You well, still, it's still get that. Sense, you know. want to win. Yeah. There's that, that sense Well, And that auctions. brings uh, the element to auction games that I like and most gamers ignore. Auction mechanisms in games are social mechanisms. It's not a gaming mechanism. It is a mechanism where you're playing the other players. And so a game, an auction game, raw is, raw is a great example. Wait, I was going to do that. Sorry, eardrums. Um, raw, Raw is a great example where it's not about necessarily what's happening on the board, but what the people around that table are going to do. Are you going to be able to bully them around by bidding certain things?
3: It, it becomes almost like a, a,
0: a poker and a, and, a, and a press your luck mechanic. Right. Because yeah. you're watching that person and in, in a regular auction game. How high can I bid you up even though I don't want that thing? I want you to pay as much as possible for it. How high can I bid you up? Can I read you? To know when you're going to drop out, because what I find is players who are bad at social, um, at reading other people socially tend to be bad at auction games. Hmm, and that's that, interesting. I found that as a frustration actually in our local group. Um, there's a player that hates lo- hates auction games. Oh, do his voice, do the imitation. And uh, I find that, I predict it's because th- that uh, the player is not as strong at the social element of games and uh, hasn't figured out how to read people and, and brought that into the game. So if you're playing an auction game and you're just looking at the board, you're missing more than half of the information that you have in that game. You need to be trying to just like poker. You're trying to read the other players.
2: And when you think about that, I think about auction games. There's a lot of games that I don't like online, and trading yep. is definitely yep. one of them. I, why would you ever play Settlers of Catan online? I have no idea. But in the same, in the same I like vein, the
0: lasers. Those are cool.
2: <laughs> in the same vein, like raw or, or modern. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Or modern art. You know, uh-huh. it, you're missing half. You're missing. <laughs> Half the experience if you're just staring at a computer screen. Yeah. Even something like Amon Ray.
1: But on the other hand, if you're playing with a bunch of people who have that problem, like they're they're more analytical and less social, then they're going to be jockeying for that mathematic position, and they they could do better at it. It's really once again, it's the whole group that you're playing with. It's not just you know four
0: people who more mathematically oriented are still going to enjoy the auction experience quite a bit. They'll enjoy it, but a player amongst those four who is more has recognized the social implication of a bidding game is going to do well because they're going to be able to manipulate that
3: social situation. Yeah, and I'll bring it back to the uh, to the auction making this money, Justine. When you've determined or when you you think you've figured out what the other person really wants to take, and you can see how much cash they've got in front of them, and you can see how far it's gone along the auction, you can either force their hand into a position that they really don't want to be in, or you can force them to take the one you didn't want, too. You, You can push people around in Age of Steam if you run the auctions properly.
2: And one thing that just made me think about in Age of Steam, you don't really know what you're bidding for. You might think you know what you're bidding for, and and some of those auction games, I I think are some of the more interesting. I don't in understand that, what you're saying. I haven't played it. Okay, when someone wins when someone wins an auction in Age of Steam, they get to choose. <laughs> They get to choose from from seven available actions. I quit You'll
1: with have trains. Excuse us,
0: while, while Derek and Don are tumbling out in the woods right now. I quit playing with cars. trains when I was five. Okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: but there's a lot of other games where where you have an you have an auction system and and you're not really sure what you're going to, might have a good idea of what you're going to get, but you're not quite sure. Because in this case, if I win, I get to pick one of seven actions, and I may not be going for the same thing that you you're going for. Oh, right, for. okay. So, so you're, you're, you're picking be for going choice for order, locomotive. you're not picking for absolutes. Right. <laughs> okay. We might b- both be going for locomotive, but I might be going for another action, urbanization. And so he spent all that money for nothing. Yeah,
1: Lascaux does, does kind of the same thing, where you, you put down what your choice is uh, face down before you start bidding. And then everyone plays kind of like no thanks where you're going around putting in chips. Mm-hmm. Um, and then somebody can take the chips and put their, their chip in, yeah. uh, put their choice face down, and, and it goes on. So you might be bidding against somebody trying to win that auction where you didn't have to win it because you were going after the ones with the green hands and he was going after the ones with the pink hands and
2: and uh, they didn't overlap at all. So yeah, and, and that brings it back to exactly what you
0: were saying And as far as a uh, social game and reading the intentions of the other players. Felix the Cat in the Sack is another auction game which has the mechanism where each player is contributing one of something you're bidding on. So you have this uh, set of cards that are out there, everyone's contributed one face down. You have, you have some bidding until someone drops out of the bidding and then you get some information, you flip one over, then you continue, continue bidding. So what happens in the game is not only do you have the auction mechanism going on, you also then have the hidden information where you and I might be the last two bidding and I know what's going on there, you don't. And you're trying to decide, am I bidding it up because that's a good card that I want to win? Or am I bidding it up because that's a bad card and I want you to pay a lot of money for that bad card? And
2: that's a great game. And I think the reason it's a great game is because it combines those two things that you were talking about so well. It combines the mathematical, which you know you know some variables and you don't know some variables, and but also the social. The social, you have to read the other person. Are they just bluffing you and trying to get you to pay money or not? And I think that's what the great
0: auction games do. They combine those two yeah. things. And that's like with uh, Tulip Mania, which is an auction game with a few fixed bids. When I designed it, I really wanted a game that best plays when you're looking at people around the table and trying to push them into certain positions. It's a game about about social manipulation, much more than a game about financially manipulating a market, which is kind of just how the stock market is. So what's the toughest, uh, what's the most complex game with an auction mechanic?
1: Or would you say the pinnacle is? We,
2: we need to draw a distinction, though, between, I, I think, more of a straight auction game and a game with, a, with an auction element. Yeah. Straight auction game. Most complex auction game. I think that Goa would probably be one of the heaviest of those because it has, it's a once around auction so you really have to be able to calculate those values and the game is really, the heart of the game, at least 50% of the game is those, that series of eight auctions.
0: Now, in my in my most recent episode of Board Games with Scott, I talked about simultaneous auction games where you have two, three, four different auctions all happening at the same time. Uh, something like Vegas Showdown or Amon Ray. Yeah. Um, and so games like that are, are take that auction mechanism to a whole new level, because now it's not just one auction you're having to worry about, it's four, it's five that you have to try and balance and push people up and not get stuck out in the cold.
2: That's that's a different than uh, a simultaneous bidding system, and that's a system that I don't really like because it's almost like multiple guess, you know, we all guess, there's several games that have that mechanic, some of them you actually lose all your money just because you guessed poorly, I think some of the fun of of an auction game is really seeing what other people bid and then reacting to, to that
3: that's like with with, with Vegas showdown you've got open information all around you you know what's coming up you know what the other person's building on their board you don't know exactly how much money everyone has you can plan two three turns ahead hopefully you know as, lo- as long as the one piece you're hoping to get just does, doesn't disappear from the board and you, yeah. can, you can see where the money's going you can you can almost say i can wait two turns on that one it's still going to be there in two turns. And there's enough choices that there's often a good second choice,
0: yeah. you know, so that you don't have to shoot yourself in the, in the head to get the best choice every time. I guess one thing we, we, can, we can sort of wrap up with auction games is that they are clearly a very rich mechanism in a game. Uh, As compared to a lot of things that are out there, worker placement and area control, which for many more experienced board gamers have gotten a little tired of because there's so many variances on how auction mechanisms work in a game and the value they add, it's a very rich mechanism to play within a game that combines both the social and the strategic. Definitely, and and as a designer, it's such an
2: important tool, like you said, in the balancing of the game. And you can also use it just for so many different facets of the game, whether it is determining turn order or choice of resources, so that you break that sort of how do we just break the clockwise turn order or the choosing of actions. The auction is is a great mechanism for doing that, and it's reasons in so many games, and I think will continue to be in tons of games in the future. So, are
1: there any new kinds of au- are there any kinds of auctions that haven't been addressed that we'd like to see in the future? I mean, uh, the Dutch auctions only in merchants of Amsterdam, right? Mm-hmm. I'd like to see more of that kind of mechanic.
0: I have an idea, Uh-oh. but I can't talk about it. Ah, uh, all right. forthcoming from designer Scott Nicholson, a new type of auction game. This is
1: Donald
2: Dennis. This is Ryan Sturm.
0: Derek, the Canadian, <laughs> and I'm Scott
1: Nicholson. Thank you for listening to how to play. And on board games. Thanks.
2: So there it was. Let me know what you thought about that segment. I'd love to do more collaborations with some of those guys. It's really great to be able to just bounce ideas off of each other. And it really helps to think through a topic to have a discussion with some other people. I mean, normally I just sort of develop a monologue here on some of my thoughts, but it really sort of sparks your own thinking when you can have a dialogue with some other great gaming minds. So thank you, Derek, Scott, and Don. And if you haven't listened to Onboard Games before their podcast, they do a great discussion. If you like particularly this segment, they do a lot of that sort of thing right at the front of their show on what they call Roundtable. So thanks, guys, for being on the show. And hopefully we can do it again. One more bit of musings before we go away for this show. I get a lot of really good feedback on the Guild for our show. And I wanted to share one of the little nuggets of feedback that I got that I really just loved and and I think would be great to share. It's from Paul Incao. I hope I'm pronouncing that name correctly. And Paul says, I really could relate to your thoughts on playing a few great games many times and discovering the strategic depth versus playing many games only a few times and only skimming the strategic surface as part of the cult of the new. You've convinced me to stop buying new games just to build a collection. And this is my favorite part right here that Paul says that I think really sums up a lot of the philosophy on the How to Play podcast. He says... One could say that a great gamer is not measured by the size of his or her collection, but by the depth of his gaming experiences and his contribution to making gaming more enjoyable and approachable to others. Paul right there said it. That's what How to Play is all about. And I've sort of incorporated that into sort of our new unofficial slogan which is going to be on our t-shirts, which are hopefully coming soon for those of you who might be interested in a How to Play t-shirt. And uh, the, the slogan is, learn, teach, and play great games. I hope that simple philosophy is something that you believe in and can get behind. That's what we're trying to do here at How to Play. So thank you, Paul. I look forward to hearing from a lot more of you there at the Guild. And here's an update on that. I have decided I am going to Origins with a duffel bag full of t-shirts. How to play navy blue t-shirts with our beautiful logo and white print on it. And I'll be selling them for a minimum $5 donation. Uh, if you can donate more, that would be great. But more, they're just there to try to help spread the word have more people hear about the show. So look for me. I'll be in the boardroom there at Origins. Introduce yourself to me. I would love to meet you. you. know, It'll be probably pretty obvious other than the navy blue shirt. I'll have a big name tag that says Ryan Sturm on it. So seek me out. Get one of those t-shirts. I'm hoping you can wear it at the show to help spread the news about the show and, and wear it at your game group or any other gaming events. We'll see how many I have left over. I could have none or a bunch, but I'll let you know more about that next episode. If you're not going to Origins and want one of these t-shirts, I'll have more details on how to get one of them next episode. But I hope many of you can make Origins, and I look forward to playing a game with some of you. I will be coming in late Friday night, but be sure to be there all day Saturday and Sunday. So that's going to about wrap it up for episode 16 on Medici. Yeah, I was listening to the Dice Tower, and they had this great outro segment where they put all this information into this cool little outro with background music, and I thought to myself, hey, I can do that. So I'm ripping it off. So uh, I put together my own little outro segment containing some of the collection of stuff that I always say at the end of every episode, so I'm going to leave you with that. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Ryan Sturm for the How to Play podcast. One, two this has been ryan stern for the how to play podcast how to play is written recorded edited produced promoted and financed by ryan stern how to play is a one-man independent podcast not affiliated with any game vendor or game company if you like how to play podcast i count on you to support it You can help out by joining and participating in the guild, donating financially to the show, writing reviews or rating the show on iTunes, help talk up the show in your game group or on the forums at BoardGameGeek, and even just thumb announcements of new episodes. We have no contests, no gimmicks, no advertisements, no plugs to game websites or companies. All of the show's content is free of all bias, save for one, my own. And that is due to your own continuing support. Please consider supporting the show in some way today. i love to hear feedback from you, and I can be contacted through our discussion forum on the Guild at BoardGameGeek, or I can be emailed at HowToPlayPodcast at msn.com. This podcast's home on the web is www.howtoplaypodcast.com. Thanks again, everybody, and until next time, I hope you will learn, teach, and play great games.